I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring. Follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. What's up, my friends? Welcome back to another episode of Stoke the Fire. This is episode 18. I can't believe it. We're at 18 already. Amazing. And as always, next to me is my clever co-host and dear friend, Mr. Matt Stocks. How you doing, Matt? I'll take clever. Yeah, I'm doing yeah. good, man. Thank you for the uh, the the kind word. <laughs> That's true stories, man. So I uh, just wanted to start off by saying thank you to everybody out there uh, for all the feedback for following us on social media, whether that be Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and for all you who are writing in on a pretty regular basis to our email, uh, stokethefirepod at gmail.com. It's been incredible. You guys give us great stories. You give us encouragement. You give us hope. And you give us some crazy things that uh, eventually some of the emails we read, you'll um, have a chance to come on and be a guest, which you can go back and watch. Some of our incredible guests that we've had on uh, that were just listeners that wrote to us. Uh, but today is not the case. Today is a very special guest, um, an incredibly talented human being and a, uh, a very intelligent man as well. And um, I want to thank Matt for introducing me to his work and who he is and what he does. And I'll let Matt take it from here. Yeah, so today's guest is a dear friend of mine, somebody I've known probably the longest out of anybody really in the music industry. Uh, we first met in 2011. I was working on Kerrang Radio at the time, very early on in my career, and he was on tour with his band supporting 30 Seconds to Mars. They were on an arena tour around the UK, and they played their opening set, and then they came over to the studios in Birmingham. It was the, the guests we're about to bring on and the drummer in the band, uh, and also a couple of their crew were there. And I was just really struck with the, the humility um, and very kind of just down-to-earth nature with which they ran their whole camp. And that's always been the way over the years they've grown and become one of the biggest bands in the UK, but they've always just conducted themselves with a real down-to-earth humility. Integrity is, is key to everything they do. And intellect, as you mentioned, there's always you know a key message behind every song, every thought, really, that this band shares with the world. For me, they're a, a real national treasure here in the UK. They're a totally unique band, and, and their singer, who's our guest today, is a, a really unique frontman and, and a unique lyricist and an inspiring guy as well, and somebody I call a dear friend. So stoked to be welcoming onto episode 18 of Stoke the Fire, Mr. Rao Reynolds of Enter Shikari. Rao, hit your camera on. Come on down. There he is. What's going on? Thank you for that wonderful, wonderful introduction. Got to give you the beans, mate. Got to give you the beans. Um, Je- Jesse was just saying to me today, like how excited he is to get you on the show, because with a lot of these guests that we get on, um, 
one of us will be more familiar than the other. There's been an occasional couple here or there where both of us will know really well, but for the large part, it'll either be somebody Jesse's kind of introduced me to or vice versa. And and we both enjoy the process, don't we, Jesse, of going down the rabbit hole with the people that we're unfamiliar with's work. And Jesse, I mean, you can get us going. What was some of your initial reactions, responses, takes to the music and obviously the thoughts from um, Rao's book, which we're going to be discussing today as well. So I've obviously heard the name. I, I know the name. I know the band. Uh, but, you know, you know you know how it is. You just don't pay attention to all, all the music that comes down through the pipeline. So it was a you name. You can't of, know them all. There's too yeah, many. So I was, I was <laughs> like, oh, interesting name. Maybe I'll check them out someday. Never did. And um, when Matt sent it to me, and I was like, oh, let me check this out. So I started with the music, which I was like, one song from the next. I'm like, who? What is, what's going on here? And it just kind of clicked when I watched. It was live. I think it was the Alley Pally in London. I'm not sure which venue it was. I was it was late at night, but watching your performance, I was like, "Whoa!" I got bits of Radiohead. I got bits of um, I don't know, like some hardcore stuff. You had mentioned Refused in an interview. I could see a little bit of that. Like you have tinges, even electronic music. You're just blending all this brilliant stuff in the energy that you guys put out, and you're dancing on stage. I was like, "This guy's amazing! It's incredible." Your lyrics are are hyper intelligent, but still not. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Like a leech, right? It, it doesn't come off like pretentious at all. And then um, reading your book, it, that was like, to me, was like, I had moments where it's like, shit, I would love to have written myself or things that I think, but didn't have the wherewithal to sort of gather the thought process. Absolutely brilliant, dude. I am now 100% a fan of what you do. You personally, honestly, just because of the way you carry yourself, conduct yourself and just wow i'm definitely like a fan bro oh mate thank you so much i mean that that means so much coming from you like i mean for instance kill switch were one of the first like international metal bands that uh my band saw as like an early influence really like it was um i I remember i don't think i don't think i actually saw um you guys in your first sort of stint yeah Uh, i because i didn't even make it over there my first yeah yeah it was i think it was god it was like 2002 where um yeah yeah, switch toured with uh 36 crazy yeah 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 Yeah, it was amazing i I missed that tour (laughs) yeah (laughs) but yeah we've been listening for a while so yeah yeah, thank you so much yeah super kind words man really appreciate it honest words honestly yeah good stuff i want to just dive straight into your book row if you're up for it um it's 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 a weighty text it's dense with information and i mean the level of research which you've <laughs> undertaken to to write this thing is mind-boggling um how many sort of academics and people did you interview did you talk to to you know correlate and and what would ever be the word gather all of this crazy detailed information we'll get into the specifics soon but the writing process i mean it's taken you the best part of a year right it's been your lockdown pandemic project yeah, it just completely took over my life, really. It was just meant to be um, a sort of a lyric explanation book, uh, sort of of the nature of, of the ones I've done in the past. So it's just, you know, a small essay for each track, just explaining the influences, the meanings. Um, and yeah, because of the pandemic, I just found myself, you know, as we all did at, at home with a lot of time on our hands. And it, it just, it kept getting bigger and bigger. Um, and I think because of, the state of the world as well. I, I just really felt that it was time to like 
okay, let, I'm going to do something detailed here. Like go into subjects a lot more than you can with just a three minute, you know, like rock song or whatever. Um, and yeah, just delved in and, and I was super grateful to be able to speak to yeah experts from all different fields um, and <laughs> a lot of reading, a lot of, I'm not the quickest reader. I, I wasn't like, I wasn't like that good at school really. I was just like very average. Um, so uh, yeah, it was just a, a lot of time trying to absorb as much information as, as I could and then work out how I could uh, present it in a way that wouldn't bore the the average uh, like music fan or any Shikari fan or anyone who's going to pick up the book. Yeah, I mean, you're reaching, there's psychology in there, there's philosophy in there, there's obviously biology and science, um, there's sociology, there's politics. You're pulling from every corner of the spectrum of human existence. Um, how was the on your like soul and your mind and your emotions because you're dealing with you know climate change and these things we're looking at certain issues which could be you know perceived to be depressing perhaps right um and, and you're immersed in this you know world for such an extended period of time did it at times like get the better of you you know it's almost like the more you know the more you realize oh my god we're headed for disaster here. Like, what was the toll on your um, your mental health writing this thing? Not just in terms of the size of the project, but in terms of the nature of the the content. Well, I find like if, if you're sort of caught up, you know, doom scrolling every day, and you're like, you're you're in to like the the, the daily sort of political uh, shit show, then it can be super draining and very quickly. Um, and, and what I've learned over the last few years is just to step away from all that and try and always view things from like a broader perspective. And because you, you can't get that perspective when you're like reading article after article and seeing tweet after tweet and all this anger and all this fury and all this shit that's happening. You can't get a perspective because you, all you have is input, input, input. And you've got no like time to like let it settle or let your mind actually like make the connections and be like, OK, so that maybe means that. And so yeah i i find that when i step back and try to understand like large phenomena and and have like a, a systems perspective like a real broad overarching perspective of things it's not actually as debilitating for your mental health um because you're not caught up in the in the daily uh just yeah just intensity um and I enjoy that as well. I think anyone does, you know, you, when you start to grasp a bit of understanding about a new subject or something, or, or you, you know, something starts to make sense that didn't before, it's actually exciting. And even if the subject is thoroughly depressing and dismaying, it can, it, as soon as you get like an understanding and a sort of foundational understanding of, of like what the concept is and, and how it works, then it's, yeah, it's just actually it's more positive because you just feel like you, you feel a bit more stable and you feel like, okay, you sort of know where you are and then you can actually start thinking about solutions, I suppose. So it's it, in that way, it's actually a little bit better. I would say to, to add to that, I, I agree because reading what you wrote and the, my takeaway from it was, I did feel like hope in my heart as much as it was daunting and it was, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're basically telling it like it is, which we're in a pretty sad state of the world right now. But there's people like you, there's people like myself, there's people like Matt, there's people that care and want to do something. And you're offering these um, really in-depth, but like you said, easy to understand concepts 
that really left me with a sense of hope that not only like I know I can do something to help, but there's people like yourself that are really pushing out this message of like inclusivity, like we're in this together, we can do something about what's going on in this world. And that was the general you know, uh, message I took with it. And, and it just gave me, it fe- it lifted me up as much as it was dense. And I definitely, you know, I'm not much of a great reader myself. I'm one of those guys that will read a page and realize, oh shit, I didn't read at all. I'm like, my brain just totally went sideways. So I have to read it again and read it again. So I reread a bunch of this stuff, but my takeaway was like, wow, there's other people like me. It gave me hope. That Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad because yeah, there's a, there's a lot of serious discussion of yeah pretty um immensely frightening issues really like you know the the first chapters on existential risk (laughs) so it's like just straight in at the deep end um but yeah i think like overall it is a very positive book i mean like it, it is easy to get uh just feel complete despair about these subjects and that is the most debilitating uh, human emotion it makes us withdraw it makes us recoil away from problems um and 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 so i'm certainly not out to to dismay or despair anyone because i just know that that's probably the worst thing um you can do but at the same time i'm not trying to like molly coddle or or sort of like rose tint anything like i i'm trying to be a realist rather than like an optimist or a pessimist but at the same time offer the actual possibilities and and eventually solutions i think um, and, and yeah, that will, that will hopefully start begin to sort of guide us somewhere uh, that's better than where we're at now. You talk about conversation, Raoul, as like a key preventative solution to, you know, failure as humanity. And, and the only way we can prevent it, you say, is through conversation. And that's really like the absolute pinnacle of this podcast. And, and really, when I was reading your book, I was like, we've got to get you on the show. Um, Shed some light from your point of view on the importance of conversation, um, what we perhaps have lost and, and what we could you know, gain from stoking, without using the obvious pun, stoking that fire of conversation and you know, breaking down these barriers and communicating in a real meaningful way. Well, yeah, I mean, people often don't think about the, the sort of options that we have at our disposal as a species. Like uh, one of our brilliant powers is our ability to quickly communicate you know serious ideas like huge concepts um you know no no other species species comes anywhere near our ability in that respect um and to communicate not just to one person but to you know potentially billions of people at the same time sort of thing um with our thanks to our technology um so communication is obviously sort of the the one positive way that we can move forward um and and as i say in the book the only other option really when you when you again take a very broad perspective is violence it's communicational violence that's it like that's the only tools in our sort of toolbox um to to be able to make things happen and when that becomes scary when you start looking at the way we structure a lot of things in our society so if we take the example of like social media now we all know the social media at the moment, especially the last few years, has just been getting horrific in terms of its tribalism, um, in terms of just the the, the general uh, complete distaste and anger like everyone has for everything and everyone else. Um, and it's, it's basically laid out 
our, our social media platforms are laid out in a way that that actually makes real meaningful like solid conversation hard so so you take twitter for example if you if there's been so many like studies done now that show like if you read someone's opinion you're gonna dehumanize them a lot quicker i.e insult them and, and jump to uh view their opinions in the worst possible light that your mind can view it through um and if you compare that to watching a video of someone explain their opinions we immediately feel loads more empathy even if we don't agree even if we vehemently don't agree if we see a person or we have the conversation in a calm atmosphere face to face or even through a video screen it's so much better it's you can have actual um you, you know you can build some sort of rapport and you can get somewhere hopefully or at least you'd have a better chance of getting somewhere in a conversation than you would by text um and there's so many other ways you know you look at the the heart of, of the social media as a business model it it feeds off of outrage that's how people get to their screens you know the quickest way to get people online is if something outrageous happens so the whole business model sort of relies on outrage and that if there's if there's something that's the worst thing for conversation it's it's outrage when people are seeing red they can't they can't have discourse can they because they're just going to insult each other um so yeah there's just so many ways that prevent real conversation um which puts us in a in a really difficult position i think um because yeah because because as, as i say it's the, it's the only only tool we have yeah that, that's been coming up a lot um in our talks and even in just my life and during this pandemic, I told a story on a, a previous episode, so I won't repeat it, but I had face-to-face -face conversation with somebody that I disagreed with. It was a three-conversation. It was someone who was extremely left, someone who was extremely right. And it was face-to-face -face -face within distance. You know, we had our masks on, all that stuff. But having that conversation, and, and I came to this realization, like you're saying, where I did see the eyes and the body movement and the tone of voice and, you know... You could even go on a molecular level and talk about sense, you know, smelling somebody's pheromones. Like all these things do contribute to the way that we communicate, the way we feel sympathy, empathy, and all that shit just goes out the window, doesn't it? When it's just a screen and words and then maybe like a video of somebody where there's no conversation and, and discussion, you know? And I think that's something that is really detrimental to us. I think we've regressed so much because of that and then, you know, put socially distant on top of that. So you, you've taken us out of, you know, that human interaction. So we're relying strictly on the internet and strictly on Zoom, you know, Zoom if you're lucky to have a conversation in Zoom. But like, I have found that I really backed way off of interacting because of, I didn't want to get involved with that shit. My idea and the way that I see the world, I want to bring people together. I want to find the commonalities. And uh, before this podcast, when we launched this podcast, it kind of saved me. It made me have faith again in people because I was seeing them on the screen and we were having these types of discussions where you don't have to agree with everything, but you let the people speak. And then you you take a, a pearl of wisdom from them and it it may actually alter the way you see something and give you wisdom. And that's something that I'm loving from this podcast, but something I feel society is definitely lacking in the great amounts these days yeah another word you mentioned around in the book a lot is compassion and the importance of that and again that's like another key theme 
on this show and, and everything that compassion has to offer us. And and obviously for some people, you kind of get put down and shut down. Like, oh, that sounds like this outdated, naive, hippie. But actually, as you stress in the book, like this is the salvation. This is the solution. And we can put these things into practice that do actually shift the very nature of our society and the very inner workings of our individual brains. Right. It takes work and it's like an ongoing process, but there can be really profound positive effects if we put these acts of kindness and compassion into practice. Yeah. I mean, we're fighting. uh a very difficult fight in that respect because yeah because so much about the way the world is structured is really to try and dampen and sort of quell our compassionate instinct um but yeah as you say it's 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 the only thing you know if we want to be sort of very uh, uh sort of uh nebulous about it and like philosophical then it, it really is the the one thing that is going to help us. Like, of course, we need to restructure so many things about society, like our economics, for instance, but compassion has to be at the centre of how we restructure the economics. So, like, I think in, in every type of actual solution, compassion is there as, like, a driving force, as, like, the backbone of the solution, or at least, like, it... it it inspires the solution by, you know, you get there by thinking compassionately, by by not just, you know, jumping with your your knee jerk emotionality um, to something. Um, yeah, so it's, a, it's compassion is 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 pivotal. It, it's difficult. Um, we, I think, yeah, often we think of it as as like a sort of a, a little bit pathetic or a little bit weak. You know, if someone's compassionate, like. It, you know, especially us, like growing up in in Britain, where we 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 have this hangover of the Victorian era, where we're we're all sort of supposed to hide our emotions, and we're supposed to, um, you know, anger for for a male, like anger is perfectly acceptable, but other emotions that sort of may imply a weakness or something are like absolutely no. So, like compassion is sometimes put into that. Uh, that pot of like vulnerabilities it's like oh you, you shouldn't be compassionate and it's it's so sad um because like especially in a in an atmosphere like today compassion is is so difficult and actually takes massive amounts of bravery and like competence um patience uh, patience yeah, yeah absolutely um and it's it's an incredibly hard thing to do when especially when we're in these conversations with people we disagree with but it's it's something that's contagious when when people see compassion they feel more compassionate in the way they they then act or interact with the world um and it's it's a uh it, it's just a, a really interesting way of changing our mindset you know we we can immediately have as i was talking about this sort of knee jerk reactions but if if we if we use compassion if we use sort of i suppose mindfulness you know being present and going oh that's how i would react but hold on is that the, the way i should be reacting like a bit more self-control i suppose and so maybe not self-restraint but like yeah so, so i guess so self-control um that, that all those things are going to be be pivotal i think for 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 discourse yeah i think that all comes along with wisdom though it's experience you know you don't 
truly learn how to be compassionate and, and present or mindful until you're put in a situation where someone sort of might have to check you and be like, hey, what about me? I feel like as humans, we have this weird inherent selfish trait where we push forward, we push our agendas, we push our ideas, we think we're right. So we don't take that moment to pause and consider somebody else's opinion or somebody else's way of life. You know, when you travel the world like we have as musicians, I think that that starts to become easier when you're engaged with other people When you see people that come from different walks of life, whether you've been to, you know, China, Russia, Southeast Asia, meeting people who have nothing and they give everything to you when they see you and you learn about, you know, different cultures and different religions and different backgrounds. It's shifted my entire worldview and helped me to be present. You know, those moments where you've got 10,000 things on your mind when you're on tour and you meet a fan and they start to tell you this heartfelt story, something clicks and you're like, I need to like be present right now and allow this person to tell their story. And I think that's another word that keeps popping up for us too, is people telling their stories. If you take time to hear somebody's story and what they've been through, you're automatically, you know, if you've got a soul, you're automatically going to consider it and bring it into your own being. And it affects the way you're going to react to this person. And I think even change the way you start to react to other people, because the more aware you are of other people and being considerate to their needs and, and how they live, it, it changes your whole reference point of your worldview. And that's the beauty I have found from touring and from music. So I guess for me, I know how it works for me, but how about you with music? How are you able to take all this stuff we're talking about comes from because you wanted to break down your lyrics. And I just think that's incredible because you're right. You only get a certain amount of time in a song and that feeling like putting that feeling out on stage. Where did that all start with you? Where did the, where did the bridges cross of like feeling that you had a message to share with the world and what you're doing now, which is just brilliant, honestly. Um, I, well, I think, you know, I, I was lucky to have lots of solid influences from, from an early age in that respect. So, you know, I was, I was brought up with, you know, there were specific areas of like Motown and Northern soul that got quite political. Um, and, and my dad, my dad was a, a Motown and Northern soul DJ. So I was brought up with a, that sort of awesome. of music. Um, and then, of course, like getting into my early teens, I discovered our local like hardcore punk scene. And the I, I remember just immediately feeling like so energized um, by, you know, certain bands that would come and, you know, they they'd do their speeches and they'd sing songs about this issue and this issue. And I, I just remember being like just completely transfixed by it. And it just opened up my world. And the fact that there was you know, in that genre specifically, there's so much passion. It's built on passion. Like there's, it's not really like the most technical or interesting like style of music, but it's, it's so full of like enthusiasm and emotion um, and determination. And yeah, I just remember being completely sold by that. And then I suppose also starting to discover bigger bands, be that rage, be that sick of it all, um, be that refused. And, and just kind of feeling that as my band began to get some sort of pedestal, it was like, well, if we're going to be playing music that is this energetic, that's this full of supposed anger and, you know, sort of uh, fury, if, if we're going to be playing this music, then 
it has to be real. It has to be real fury. It has to be real anger. It has to be real righteous indignation. Like I, we never wanted to, you know, if I wasn't, if I don't have things to be angry about, I'd have quite happily just carried on playing the trumpet and been played in an orchestra or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, so yeah, I, I, I think it would just immediately became like obvious to us that, that that's what we do. Um, and it, it, we had like some, some very early struggles with our like local council. Um, there were a lot, you know, we, we grew up in sort of quite a conservative area and, and even just putting on shows was really difficult. So we immediately have had like a sort of distrust of authority, I think straight away. Um, and just like, we're trying to question things and trying to learn more about the world. And, and, and we, and we immediately learned the importance of community uh, and learned the importance of, of conveying ideas through music. And uh, yeah, I think it just, it was just a natural sort of way that I, I, I wanted to make music. I wanted to connect with, with our audience. Yeah, you mentioned Refused. Uh, Dennis is a, a friend of mine and somebody that I've admired for many years. But yeah, I remember when they came on the scene. I remember when I first heard uh, Coup d'etat and that first Refused recording and then seeing the visuals of it. What a powerful band. What a That guy is like, uh, and he's he's got a, his band Invasion as well. I don't know if you've checked them out. They're incredible. Like That dude, come on. We got to get him on the show at some point. That dude is just, yeah, what a brilliant, inspiring man. And he's very self-deprecating about how he used to be when he was younger because he was kind of cocky. But man, that shit inspired the hell out of me. It definitely lit a fire under my ass. And the, the sound of his voice and the speaking in between songs. And yeah, I, that's totally where I come from too. Those are my roots and something I truly appreciate about hardcore and punk, you know, the bands that really put that into it. And it does empower you for the rest of your life, right? That never leaves you. That kind of music is, you know, like you say, it's simple. It's, you know, not as complicated as some some stuff. But like that that feeling just raised me. I'm, I'm going to be a fan of that type of music till I die. And it really projected me into the world to want to make a difference. And it really was fueled by music, which is beautiful. And you're continuing to carry that torch for your fans. And how cool is that, that we get the privilege to do that? It's a beautiful thing, man. Yeah, I love, yeah. love it. I can totally relate to what you're saying, dude. <laughs> Oh, awesome. Yeah, no, we're, we're sort of forever grateful for that. Like just the, the, the power that, you know, we wield as musicians, like it's such a, as an art form, it's the most immediately affecting, you know, we, we can, it, it's almost like music's almost like a dictatorship, you know, like you put a track on and it's going to make you feel something <laughs> like whether you like it or not. Um, and there's, yeah, it's, so it's such a powerful thing to wield. And I think we're, yeah, we're forever grateful for that and it but i suppose like you know at the end of the day we're just as musicians we're doing the same thing that our species has done for millennia you know like music was always something that sort of brought people together really be it around the sort of fire back in our hunter-gatherer days or you know various like uh events um and it's, it's interesting because it like classical music was was a, a real defining point. No, it's a bit of a tangent. This, sorry, but it was a really defining point because it stopped making music about being a communal thing that everyone everyone was involved in. It then became like you know the performers, be that a orchestra, a string quartet, whatever, um, and then the the audience who are seated, and it was a very quiet and very prim and proper uh, affair, and. Um, music before that had not been like in so many languages uh, like ancient languages music and dance are the same word because they were never separated 
Like it was a very communal thing that everyone would do. Everyone would be playing an instrument. Everyone would be involved in, um, which I think is quite beautiful. So, so just knowing that that music has always been this thing to provide community, to bring us together, to strengthen our bonds. Like, and effectively, that that that's what you know, that's what we're doing in our band. That's what like so many other uh, amazing bands are doing, and, and musicians, and so many even other art forms as well, I suppose. But I think music has has always been at the forefront of, of that. Hmm. Hell yeah. There's one thing I wanted to pick up on from the book as well, which kind of for me was an interesting thought that I had never had myself before. But you talk about how actually in our nature as human beings, vulnerability is actually our default setting. And you talk about all this research and study that's gone into how you'll see like toddlers who have no real grasp yet on life helping out their fellow you know, nursery school playmates in certain situations. And it's actually society that's ingrained in us this kind of ultra competitive you know rigged game almost that makes us guarded and suspicious of other people because of actually the the economic social systems that are put in place but actually when you get to like the nature of our kind of human spirit and character and soul these altruistic tendencies are actually there as part of almost our dna i found that fascinating because it goes to show that we can get back to that yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I would strongly suggest like anyone to um, when when they finish watching this interview, go and watch uh, Felix Varnaken. Um, I mean, his TED talk, I suppose, is the first place to start. But the, the footage he shows of these toddlers like doing these acts of compassion, like picking things up for people, um, opening doors for people with with absolutely no incentive, no reason to. Um, it is it's incredible to see it. So, so I think it's a very early instinct, really, acts of. Of, of selflessness acts of uh, altruism but of course like the other side of us is there as well it's, it's we're, we're naturally selfish as well but our, our system incentivizes one and disincentivizes the other and we all know we all know which one that is like when we have a economic system that's so uh predicated on self-interest on short-term self-interest and just like constant profit that's in, that's it's rewarding the act of, of self-interest rather than encouraging the act of, of, of compassion or the act of altruism or, or whatever. Um, so, so again, we're sort of fighting a very, very difficult battle. We're up against like extremely powerful systems here. Um, but yeah, it, it is a, a very early in instinct um, is, is the compassionate sort of drive. And you talk a lot about determined hope as well. I'd love to get your thoughts on that because, you know, I, I feel like both Jesse and I have come through this period of time in lockdown with, despite everything, loads of hope, loads of optimism. It feels like a real key time in human history now where change not only can be made, but specifically in regards to the climate and climate change, change has to happen now. Um, so I wonder if you could shed some light on, you know, determined hope and, and how we can put that into practice to hopefully... <laughs> change the tides before it's too late obviously the responsibility is on those people in power to change the systems but what can we as every man and women be doing in our day-to-day -day lives hopefully to just to try and like you know nudge things in the right direction oh that's a big <laughs> um yeah i mean in, in order to act in order to progress in in any way you have to have hope like if you don't have hope that your act will do something then you're not going to do it so 
it's something that we should be constantly looking to to stoke um and it's 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 not actually a hard thing to sort of bring to people i think like all, all you need are a group of people with with an idea or a group of people with a, a, a sense of justice or uh you know a, a sort of frustration with something and a, a, a an idea and a, and, a, and a way that they can see us progressing that, that's all it sort of requires i suppose um and yeah in terms of what people can do um gosh well i, I suppose as soon as we've talked about compassion i can sort of like go off on that way we we can almost think about it as like targeted compassion. So like sort of working on ourselves as, as people and like working on our, our faults and, and working on spreading uh, the compassionate drive that has been so stunted by economics and whatever else. Um, and then whilst doing that, we, we have to, sort of inject compassion into our broader system somehow. Um, I mean, if, if I was in charge, it would be com a complete from the ground up redesign. Um, but I'm some weird socialist futurist or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Burn it all down. Let's start over again. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think, yeah, as we said before, like compassion has to be central to to our economics, to our politics. Um, otherwise, we're, we're just going to be stuck in these sort of loops that we're in at the moment uh, where, where so little is happening and, and history sort of keeps repeating and we're just going round and round and round. Um, but I think the, the one of the reasons why I, I, I did a, a long form, you know, book was also to sort of um, stoke curiosity i suppose as well like because i think that's that's a powerful part of like hope as well like so so you know knowledge is power so like encouraging people to sort of not be not feel um sort of frightened by like bigger subjects that you know things that we weren't really taught at school like systems theory which sounds like this big scary thing and it's full of lots of big words but it's actually vital to understanding like the way our world is structured and the way things work and why we have so many problems. Um, so, so yeah, like deep dive curiosity is, is something that isn't really supported in, especially young people's worlds. You know, it, it's ticks, it's TikTok, it's Vox Pops. It's like quick, it's tweets. Like everything's just very, very small, minute chunks. And you can't understand any phenomena in, 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 you know, something that small, um, you know, things are very nuanced and, and, and difficult and they, they take like these sort of big deep dives. Um, so I guess it's trying to encourage that. And I think hope will come naturally out of that. Like hope comes out of understanding it, it births it. it, it sort of keeps it alive, I suppose. So, so yeah, the whole knowledge is power thing is, is, is I think central to, to the reason for, for doing the book as well. Yeah, and I think it's a difference between, you know, knowledge and information because you're talking about all these, you know, all these things that are set up for our young people to sort of just be constantly distracted and, and develop. I think a lot of kids have developed sort of like a uh, attention deficit disorder where you can't truly feel uh, people's, you know, situations. You can't truly take in 
knowledge if things are just so quick. And having a conversation with some young people, you can see they kind of like tune out or they, they grab their phone or they're distracted by, it's just a constant um, disrupt that's happening. And, you know, we all fall prey to it eventually too, you know, like just technology is much as, as, as advanced us and given us all this information, true knowledge and true wisdom gets lost along the way because it's just in bits and pieces. And that's something that I've been really aware of during this um, pandemic. I think a lot of people have really turned inwards or turned into their phones and sort of just zoned out on distractions and binge watching TV to as like a coping mechanism because they can't handle they can't handle the the feelings of sorrow they can't handle the situations out there and I think that's a huge thing we need to focus on as a you know like people getting disconnected that's my huge thing and Matt and I talked about this so much and it's a constant thing getting out in nature and separating yourself from the machines and and if you're able to do that with other people, connecting, I've had some incredible experiences with, you know, people that I'm actually able to interact with during this time, going out into the woods, just a handful of people and talking about this type of stuff. And that's really what it's going to take is like helping people to disconnect or if they're connecting, giving them stuff to like chew on. But it's it's difficult with the attention span that just it's everybody's got this crazy attention deficit disorder. And I think that there's that needs to be addressed at some point via art or via music and something I intend on, on writing about. So yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. How, how do you, where do you, where do we go from there with that stuff? That's something that really baffles me. Like people just don't have enough time to pay attention to even feel things. Yeah. Well, I mean, social me media is so addictive. That's the thing. Like those, you know, when we, as, as creatures, we, we want information especially negative information because that's the, you know, threatening information is what keeps us alive. Um, so, you know, scrolling through our, our social media feeds and being pummeled with all these horrible things that are happening in the world, we actually do get rewarded, you know, internally in, in our neurochemicals um, for taking in that information. But at the same time, it's incredibly damaging. It keeps us in this heightened state of stress, which is damaging for our brain. Um, so it's, it's it's gonna it's gonna, it's gonna take a redesign of social media, I think, how it works. But um, it's interesting because there's a lot of things coming out now about how Gen Z, Generation Z in in, in particular, are are sort of leaving social media. They're leaving the the platforms. They they've sort of just having enough with it, which is which is really interesting because I think they sort of look at it as something that they were born into. Um, it's like their parents thing, right? And nobody yeah, wants and to do what their parents do. It's like, oh, your mum's on Facebook? Yeah, nah, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting because like our, our generation, I suppose, is like um, social media migrants. Like we didn't grow up like as, as actual kids with it. You know, it sort of, it came whilst we were teenagers or whatever. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't use the internet till I was like at university, really, when I was 18. I never had like the internet at home, so I was never on Hotmail or MSN or MySpace or any of that. So for me, I was like a fully grown adult and a man before I even like logged online. Nuts. Yeah. Well, that you're probably a lot healthier in many, in many ways than a lot of us. I don't then. know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think like Generation Z are sort of they're like uh, to continue the metaphor. I, I guess they're like natives to social media. You know, they they were sort of have been born into it and i think that 
they're becoming aware of all the the negative associations with it and, and the ways that it's actually quite damaging to mental health um, and to society societal health um so so yeah i think it won't it won't be surprising if this trend continues if people just like actually start using it less or just use it using it in very sort of considered uh more minimal ways i suppose yeah i think uh, another thing too that might help with that is getting back to a social environment and being around each other again when that does happen and going back to shows. You know, I've had moments at, at, at shows where I ask the audience to put their phones down for this next song. You know, and I just ask people to like, be in the moment with me and sing along. Just put your phones down. And those moments are powerful when the song is over, the room explodes and there's just this feeling of like we were there together in that moment. I think stuff like that will continue to drive like how important it is to be present and be engaged with one another it's it's a beautiful thing it brought tears to my eyes i'll never forget it something i plan on doing more but it's funny though because when you're at shows you know this it's just the phone in the air it's like come on man it's crazy i'm old school with that shit i love when people don't have their phones in their hands and they're just paying attention or singing along and i think that runs deep in our society that connect connectivity face to face once the world starts to get back to a more social environment I'm hoping that will help with all of this as well, you know, reconnecting after not having that for so long. Yeah. I, I think people get uh, confused with, with social media as well. Cause they, they think that like they're, they're getting the, the same benefits that they would from a face-to-face conversation or from some sort of social situation, you know, by, by speaking to a friend on WhatsApp or like by like their friend count going up on, on Facebook or whatever, like, whereas that, that's com- completely doesn't replace real physical relationships and, and community and all, all the the beneficial like feelings and, and developments that, that we gain from from being in those situations um and i see yeah i suppose that's probably one of the things that that people are going to realize that actually i don't feel fulfilled by sort of just sitting uh staring at screens all day Let's go in on nature round. Nature's been a huge influence on this podcast and on both mine and Jesse's lives, big time. Um, and you did a great video on your Instagram page the other day, David Attenborough out there in the wilderness, talk, yeah. talking yeah. about the positive effects of nature on the mental health of, of an individual. Um, what's your journey been with, with reconnecting to nature, I guess, in this year maybe specifically, but you know, and then what you've learned about nature as a whole and its healing powers? Um, it's, it's interesting whether I sort of, whether I, I, I read up about its healing powers and then it was like a, you know, then I felt them and it's like, well, do I really feel them or is, have I just primed my brain to feel the positive effects? Um, but I think, yeah, I think when you, when you lose yourself in a landscape, there's, there is something, uh, incomparable to that and and it's not it's not like a you know some sort of euphoric experience like uh comparable to a drug experience or something it's i don't know man i've actually had moments like that when i've been when i've been walking when i've been hiking like when the scenery is epic i do think the emotions can lean towards the epic too and the grand um and yeah, I've I've had some proper moments out there where I've been like moved to tears, and uh, I've been in a good mood, and I've been listening to a song that's perhaps you know 
heightened or evoked a certain emotion but i have certainly and i've been doing detoxes and things and it's all i think fed in together but i've certainly had moments out in nature this this year 2021 where i've been moved to tears just by how content and at peace i am and how being in those kind of environments as opposed to city and urban landscapes really does make me feel like whole and and so so happy so i would say you can get a bit of euphoria from nature yeah i I suppose it's you know you could start arguing about which drug is it comparable to or whatever but (laughs) i think i guess where i was going definitely mushrooms (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's like a um I find it really cleansing and sort of, I can't think of a better word than grounding, but I don't really like the word grounding because it's sort of like, what does that mean? Do you know what I mean? But like, I think we know what it means, even if perhaps we can't like describe it, that you just sort of, you feel connected to the, to the planet, like that you're on, like you, you feel part of it. Um, part of what, an ecosystem. What could be greater than that, right? That feeling of connectivity. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a, so I get yeah. What I'm trying to say is, it's not like some sort of like uh, out of body, like whoa, I had this crazy experience. It's like a, it's almost deeper than that. But then I don't know because I haven't even done psychedelics, so <laughs> you may be able to get very similar. Dude, uh, you got to come and try some with me. <laughs> uh, I think I, have to, <laughs> I think I'm too old. No, no, dude. You're never I'm too, too old and too the, too. The anxious. older, the better. The older and more experienced, the better. Yeah. yeah, I think I think there's a stigma attached to it, and you know, I I can definitely vouch for the beauty of microdosing, small amounts, um, yeah. and going in nature. But uh, getting to nature for me to, to contribute to this, you know, I think um, going along with what both of you are saying, I've had both of those moments where I've been moved to tears, but I've also had those moments where it's just this deep, profound feeling of, you know, I like to think of it as like roots. You know, you look at these beautiful massive trees and underneath the ground is an incredibly massive root system and i think when we go out there and especially if you're take you know you want to go full on take your shoes off get out there and and walk around the forest or the rivers and lakes and streams get your feet connected to the the ground there's scientifically you know things that actually happen when you do that and i'm fortunate enough to live in a national park and like i can go out my door and i'm in the forest and the river and that's been a, a almost a daily thing for me, even during the winter, where I would just go out there and just be. I didn't, you know, no phone, no nothing, no music, even just sitting and listening and taking in the silence. And then also, you realize how much life is around you, and that's humbling and that's centering. And I think that you know maybe that's to contribute to what you were saying. Like you kind of like rediscover your roots, where we all come from before we had all these machines and before we had all these cities. It's in our blood. It's in our instincts. There's something in our brain that sort of gets triggered in a good way that reminds you of who you actually are in this earth. And all that white noise distraction of a city and the rat race and the hustle and all this shit that you realize is just this big fucking illusion. And at the at the bottom of it all, we are all so connected through this earth. And that's the real heavy shit that I have been on this past year where I used to be so ambitious with my career so like let's go let's tour let's do this let's conquer the world we're a great band come on this is career and i've i've lost most of that i mean i'm excited to get back to it but there's a huge part of me that is found this crazy peace and that's through nature nature reminding us of who we actually are mm-hmm. you know children of this earth we're not separated from it we are a part of it like you're saying 
And I think people forget that. And that can bring you to tears if you're so caught up in all like, oh my God, I've got this mounting crazy credit card debt. I've got all these bills. I don't know how I'm going to pay money, money, money. And you take all that shit out. <laughs> you just go and get to the brass tacks of who we are as humans. It's a huge reality check. And it's one of the most beautiful things you can experience. I recommend it to anyone. Just go out there, take your shoes off and sit and shut up. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, uh, as I said in the the uh, video I did the other day, like it, I said 99%, but I think it's actually 99.9% .9 of our species existence we've lived in nature. So like as literally as hunter gatherers um, and it's, uh, I suppose the way our genomes evolved is for that environment. That's what we're as, as you say, that's where we're from. That's, that is us. That's in our bones. Um, and, and now we have completely changed our environment. And we, you know, within 200 years, I suppose, like the Industrial Revolution 200 years ago, everything changed. And our genome hasn't changed. So we're incredibly maladapted to the, the, the current way that our society is structured. And that's one of the reasons why mental health problems are so high because you've you've taken a species out of where it's meant to be and you've dropped it in one of the most intense constant go 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 24 hour a, a day um stressful environments there is <laughs> we've ever uh, you know invented so it's 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 yeah it's incredibly debilitating for us um and and, and create incredibly unnatural for us i suppose I'm sure you've had those moments on tour too, and you've got a day off and you're just, you're craving the quiet, you know, I'll, for me, if I'm in a big city and there's a park, that's nine times out of 10, that's where I'll be on my day off. If not sleeping oh, for yeah. the friggin' day, but <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful, man. I, I don't know. I, um, I have a lot of hope for the future when it comes to that type of stuff too. I think that contributes to me is like pushing my agenda of getting back to nature. I, I'm, I'm very much uh, influenced by that people I've been reading and people I've been focusing on. And you mentioned as a joke, David Attenborough, that guy's like my spirit animal. He's one of my favorite human beings on the planet. And uh, when I'm on tour, he's the guy, he's the voice that puts me to bed every night. I, I watch his programs and listen to him talk about the beauty of life. Yeah. I'm, I'm such a nature boy. I love it. It's beautiful. I don't know where I'm going with that, but that's, <laughs> that's what makes me happy. literally the, the guy that everyone wishes he was their granddad. You know? oh my God. Yeah. How good would that be? Like, <laughs> I just wanted to continue down the road of mental health, which you mentioned a few times. Um, what's your journey been like with that, Raoul? Because I know that the place that you're at now has been inspired by your struggles and then eventual you know, coping mechanisms that you've developed. And, and you've been on a bit of a journey over the last few years. You've set up this amazing podcast, which teaches people about mindfulness practices. So I wonder if we could backtrack to kind of where things for you, perhaps you know, you became aware that there was something wrong. And then the steps that you took to try and fix yourself and, and get better. And then what you've learned along the way, things that have been, you know, for you really useful and really transformative and, and positive, you know, additions and, and kind of uh, elements of your daily practice and life. Yeah, well, I, I suppose like many people, I, I grew up with certain mental health struggles, but I didn't really know what they were. I just thought that was life, you know, that that was what lifelike in in my mind you know and that that's it and i'm just stuck with it um and so it wasn't until 
I mean, I, I started becoming slightly more aware, like about anxiety and depression and things like that. But it, on on a sort of real solid foundational level, it was only it, it and all the way. It's quite embarrassing, really. It wasn't until like 2015 when things like got very difficult for me, and it, that was my sort of year that I refer to as the worst year of my life. Like everyone seems to has to have one of them, you know, at some point where just everything goes wrong and you really struggle. And um... you're also not alone in being a late bloomer. It's it's something that both me and Jesse are guilty of and people we've had on this show. It seems to be a recurring theme that most of us realize pretty far on into life that there's some changes that need to be made. So you're mm-hmm. not a unique case there, dude. So no need to feel any uh, embarrassment about that. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, it's, it's, it's another uh, fault of our education system. It's we're not really taught anything about how to deal with our minds. We're taught a lot about our physical health, but, but, you know, I suppose it's, it's, it's changing nowadays, but like when I was like at school, mental health was, you know, it was maybe you'd get one assembly a year on like mental health and it would be very uh, nebulous and, and you wouldn't really understand it. And it would be like something that other people had probably, you know, like they, they, you wouldn't make the links. So um, yeah, but I, uh, yeah, 2015 just uh, had an immense panic attack, like went to hospital, uh, didn't sleep for a week, which was interesting, <laughs> very interesting experience. Um, and then just basically had insomnia for a few months. And uh, it, it, it took that, you know, the, the classic like rock hit rock bottom story um, to then build up my knowledge of, OK, oh, so I've had um, social anxiety all my life. Oh, so there's in some ways um, I have like. OCD symptoms in in some ways I'm uh, susceptible to uh, depression and you know there are certain triggers we all have sort of our our triggers for things and for me it took a a lot of shit to go wrong for it actually to come to a head and for me to realize what things were and then and then work out what I can do to sort of uh, cope basically um and yes my my coping mechanisms the things I found were uh, mindfulness, yoga, you know, the, the classic things that people sort of go on about and like, oh my God, my life was transformed. Um, Which shows that shit works, right? If you do yeah. it right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, CBT, I, I think was quite helpful, especially in terms of giving me the knowledge and giving me the sort of uh, my bearings with, with, with mental health. Um and, and just balance, just learning balance, learn, learning self-care, learning self-love, self-compassion, you know, all these things that like, again, you, you're not taught. And if anything, you're sort of motivated to to ignore or like belittle, which even worse. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, that year and, and the year since then have just been an incredible learning experience, really. Yeah, it's something that you continue to learn, isn't it? Because I find that with, with myself, you know, I, I didn't sort of have a language for my disorders or my illnesses until my th- mid-30s. Um, and I definitely hit rock bottom, unfortunately, more than once. But um, I find that it's it's a daily thing. I've Anxiety is fascinating to me because I've always, you know, and when you have the loose talk of, you know, about what anxiety is most people don't realize the broad spectrum of what anxiety entails and how it can produce certain behavioral traits and you know you sort of look back in your life and, and you realize like oh wow i've been dealing with this for a long time without having the 
language and how powerful it is for someone to sort of give you that those tools to say this is who I am and research and you're like I've had these aha moments and I still do to this day where somebody will say well do you have this trait this could be connected to that and you sort of go down the rabbit hole and it really kind of gives you an exhale where you're like oh okay I'm not alone in this number one which is huge and number two like I can figure out how to start to you know navigate this when I'm triggered by something and I'm like why am I freaking out and you over time you know with your wisdom of the situation like it's been incredible and it's something that I continue to do. And as a performer too, right? That's a whole other thing, man. I never realized my, my drinking was like my coping mechanism. You know, I couldn't get on stage without a few shots of tequila in me. I couldn't do it. And learning how to do that um, was huge. And that was through meditation, through stretching. You know, you mentioned yoga. It's something that I try to do a lot, but I, you know, I, I got to get better with that. But, uh, I think that that's just brilliant. It's a constant uh, evolution and a constant journey. And it should empower people to know that, you know, you don't have to have all the answers, but once you start understanding your situation and your brain and who you are and your personality, it's a liberating thing. And it really helps to soothe some of that, like I'm going fucking crazy moments. And I, I love it. I've learned a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I probably had similar experiences then because it's, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's been quite uh, transformational, I, I think, especially like on tour. Like I remember, I mean, it's almost weird thinking about touring now. It just feels like another world. Right. But, um, yes. Yeah. I, I think on tour yoga, that was the only time that I kept it up um, because it helped me so much with, with, with the shows. Um, whereas off tour as, as, you were just saying, oh, I'm, I, I yeah, that's kind of where I was getting at too. Yeah, I've I've fucked <laughs> off that habit. <laughs> it's yeah. not good anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult to to keep things up, isn't it? But um, at least they're they're sort of there. They're discovered now, so they're you know should should we need them? Sort of thing. They're they're there. Just um about the last year, Rao, like you guys obviously dropped a record at the start of 2020. Um, you know, I think the pandemic in terms of timing for you guys, you were probably one of the most unfortunate bands because you had like a whole year's worth of album campaign shows lined up UK stateside everywhere. Um, what's been the reality in the Shikari camp of the last 15 months in the wake of all of this stuff with hitting the brakes on touring? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, like anyone it's it's just been pretty difficult. Like, yeah, all, all the plans were scuppered. So I mean, somehow we, we were really lucky, you know, we, we still, the, the album still did really well. Um, and we're, you know, f- feel even more grateful and connected to our audience and our supporters than ever for that. Cause it was them, you know, we had no promo really effectively the whole, all the tours were canceled. So it, it just became a word of mouth thing. So it's, it's kind of beautiful in a way. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's crazy how much that record was relevant to, to the pandemic as well, even though it was written before, everything you're talking about like just kind of came to the surface didn't it throughout that time have you played many of those songs even live yet have you even had the chance no we we, we did one um little like recording session uh, a few months back like in between some lockdowns last year uh where we, we played like three of the tracks of the new tracks um but most of them we haven't even played in a room together let alone in front of anyone else um Wow, so it, which is weird because so the album doesn't really feel. I don't know whether finished is the right word, but it, it doesn't feel like 
it's reached it's it's any sort of finality until you play it live until you the songs come alive literally um so that you know that's been difficult um not not being not being able to see people's reaction you know we're as as musicians you sort of you live on the fuel of validation um, which is not the best thing for the mental health um yeah. so when you take that out it's it's quite difficult i, I really enjoy those one-on-one conversations as well with with people when you you can you actually can speak about the music or, or music in general or just you know our, our experiences um I've, I've missed that i've missed uh just being with the the band um it, it's it's felt like i've sort of i don't know i don't know what the analogy would be like i've lost a limb or something this year you know like i've, I've i haven't been the full row it's it, i've been like a yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's funny man like i was watching uh not last night the night before i was watching some live footage of you guys and there's a moment you guys are you know surrounded by these blue lighting and you're standing side stage getting ready to go on stage and my girlfriend's you know lying in the bed next to me and i started to get i started welling up because it was like oh my god that moment that you share right before you go on stage i just got chills and the crowd is there and you know that that when you get on stage your entire you just feel this like bah this the feeling you can't explain and it really does give you purpose it really does become a part of like your existence and you know you said validation or like stuff that helps to keep drive you going you know as difficult as tour is it's all about that moment right when when you're all there and you're like this is gonna happen guys here we go and then you do it and you come off stage and like the come down that's addictive it's really something that i became addicted to and when i didn't have it the first couple months like initially it was like oh we get a break we've been touring non-stop thank god and then i slipped into this real sort of almost an identity crisis really i got depressed and i was like well what's the fucking point it's crazy how i spiraled so quickly and it made me realize how hard i'm relying on that in my life and i wouldn't have realized it if we hadn't slowed down and hadn't gone off the road and it really did help me sort of rebuild my identity and you know part of that was just you know getting back to nature doing things in a normal routine whether that be yard work or silly things like dishes like those little things like i found solace in doing them because i needed some kind of a routine and then this podcast too but having that taken away it really sort of like is a reckoning with like, who are you really in this world and how much do you rely on that energy and how beautiful that energy is and you're able to have that connectivity. Yeah, I, it's something I'm definitely looking for. That first moment where I'm standing at side stage with my, my guys and we're getting ready to do it again. I'm probably going to fucking cry. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the emotions are going to be off the scale, aren't they, when we all oh my play God. shows again. I... I'm probably going to hurt myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, unintentionally. <laughs> What's great as well, Jesse, is and Shikari have basically been friends and in a band together since they were kids. You know, yeah. they're one of the few bands that have made it to the top and have stayed the you know original lineup, have stayed together, have stayed friends. Um, wow, it's, it's something that I've always admired about them, and just the way they run their their operation. Everybody's like everybody feels like they're part of their extended family. They're a really yeah. unique band in that way. We have that with our crew too, like our crew dudes, you know, like they're there with us side stage getting ready. I have a, a tradition of just fist bumping our guy, Josh, who's our production manager, stage manager, like all those little moments, man. 
how much more are we going to cherish them when they come back? Oh, mate, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's those sort of moments where you really feel part of a pack, isn't it? Like, I, I, yeah, when you're on the road and you've got your your full gang, and it's, 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 it's pretty special. I, I, what you were saying there about purpose, I think that's, that's like hitting the nail on the head there because I haven't been able to write any music since the pandemic. Um, and sort of all around me, all these bands have been, oh, yeah, we wrote an album on the first lockdown, we're releasing it, like being super productive. And I'm just like, I don't know what's going on. I feel Same. broken. Um, yeah. I, I'm glad because I haven't, there's not many people who, who have had this, but I think it's, it's taken me a while to realize, but I think it's because the live side of it is the fuel. Like when I'm writing, I'm constantly thinking about what will this sound like live? What, what will people feel when they hear this? Like, and so not having the examples of that, i.e. the shows, I, I've just been like, uh, why do I do this again? What? Uh, <laughs> it's just like completely lost. Um, Give yeah, yourself but... some slack though, Raoul. You have written a book about human history and the future of humanity. <laughs> you know, you've yeah. written like this 400 page Holy dense. <laughs> you got one up on me, bro. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> What's the published date for the book? A treatise on possibility. When's it out? Uh, July 16th. July 16th. Great. Yeah. So it'll basically be out around the time this chat goes out, man. I can't recommend it enough. If you're interested in the types of conversations we're having on this show and you want to dive to the bottom of that well and really get into all these subjects in a very academic but accessible way. Um, and if you're familiar with Rao's music, you'll know that, and this is something Jesse picked up right away, is like you undercut the intellect with humor so well. And that's what makes everything that you do so accessible and enjoyable because, you know, it can be as informative as you want, but if it's not entertaining as well, it often falls on deaf ears. And what I've always loved about Shikari is that humor and that tongue in cheek, you know, just every madness about it all. It's not we're up here with the intellectual elite and you need to listen to all these ideas. It's like, no, we're just people like you have had these ideas. Let's share them together. And the book's amazing, man. It's such an incredible achievement. You should be very proud of yourself. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, the, I tried to get more jokes in it. <laughs> that was really on my mind. Because, you know, it is a really, as you say, it's, it's such a great way of, like, keeping people, like, just feeling emotionally connected to it, especially when I'm hitting them with, like, data and, like, big concepts. Um, but I found out that it's really hard to write jokes. <laughs> and, like, I, I suppose jokes even is maybe, like, demeaning it almost, but, like, just putting humour of some kind into into things like that is just like it's well, i think cool. it helps it helps the information go in you know i think yeah this is an incredible way to like be a learning tool you know i look at uh comedians like george carlin for example who is just one of the most brilliant human beings and you were laughing but then you're like whoa dude is schooling me on some shit yeah it's yeah. a brilliant way to do it man I, I commend you for that yeah yeah Fuck you for doing that, man. I didn't do shit. <laughs> well, dude, you got a Times of Grace record. You got this no. pod. You got this podcast. Yeah, yeah. you know it's funny it, too because the Times of Grace record comes out on July sixteenth, which is like to me my magnum opus. But that was written before the pandemic. I can't take credit for that. It's been done. Right. Uh, yeah, man, it's beautiful. I wanted to say this too that um, you know because I'm I'm still fairly new to your to your music and stuff, but uh, to see the you guys almost have a joy that comes off when you're performing. You can tell you guys love it, and there's something about your personality that just kind of you. I feel like I'm your friend. I don't know. It's such a weird thing, right? 
when you see social media or videos or a band or interviews. And I immediately connected to your spirit. It was something about what was coming off of you, not even just what you were saying, if this makes any sense to you, just sort of like this, this spiritual air of how I could tell you want the world to be a better place and you really truly do love music. It's just so apparent. And that's powerful in itself. And I think that shows why your legacy probably is the way that it is. Not, you're not just great musicians and it's not just you know quality music, good lyrics, but just the vibe you guys give off. There's joy there. And I noticed that. That was one of the first things I noticed was like, these guys fucking love what they do. And that's, that's kind of rare. That's that's special. That's unique. So I have to commend you guys, you and your your band. And I'm definitely gonna continue to dive into your music because of that. It's just such a joy to see and hear, and you can just hear it. It's something that's you can't teach that. It just happens. Oh, amazing! Yeah, that's so lovely to hear, man. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I suppose like just being a, a band since we were, we were kids, there's a there's some sort of connection, and and, and you know the only reason we ever do it as as just like anyone else it there is a it is just a a way to to reach joy isn't it <laughs> like really that's to connect with other people and and to and to use art to do that it's it's uh yeah and you can see it in the audience too when the camera would pan to the audience i i love it people who are just like there their, sh- their shows go off man that they want some of the i'm, best, I'm gonna best catch crowd. one mark my words they did a cool show at ali pali where they had like speakers in every corner of the room it was like a 360 degree sound setup like, that's brilliant they're that's always cool. doing crazy shit what like that's that? the one i saw online <laughs> I, I watched a bunch and then i watched the russian um which just brought me back to when we traveled in russia and how uh, crazy memories from just being in parts of the world you're like wow how the hell did we get here yeah, so yeah. nuts right i know i i miss that actually i miss probably that more than anything it's not just the shows but like the going to crazy places like China and Asia and Africa, you know, we were able to go there. We did Russia and Africa in the same tour. And I remember just on the flight down to Africa, like how, how am I a little punk rock dude? How the fuck did I get here, man? It's crazy, man. I know. Hey, Rao, I have one more question for you. There's a guy in your book that you mentioned. I want to see if we can get him on this show. Daryl Davis. Tell us about this guy, Daryl Davis, because he's his story, man. Sounds incredible. Jesse, if we can get a hold of this dude, we've got to get him on this show. Rao, tell everybody about Daryl Davis. Um, yeah, I mean, if I remember rightly. Um, Putting you on the spot, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, so he's a sort of a, a, is it a jazz, soul, funk musician or something? I mean, I don't know much about him, but I've just watched this documentary that he did, basically. Um, so he's a musician that he's, he grew up playing in, in bands in like, you know, parts of America that weren't the most progressive. Um, and he's an African-American. And so he's, he ended up playing in, in lots of sort of, uh, areas where like the KKK were like a thing, an actual, you know, physical <laughs> thing. And, and, and they had a, a decent amount of members and stuff. And, um, he, he, the documentary is great. I can't remember what the documentary is called, but I suppose if you, just Google Dal Davis, we'll get it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it'll be there. Um, and uh, yeah, so so he had all these 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 experiences and basically made it sort of one of his life goals to try and um, extract, shall we say, um, as many people out of the KKK as possible. So he'd go around befriending. I've heard of this guy. Assholes, basically, 
um, which is a, not just like amazing, amazing bit of compassion, but an incredibly brave thing to do, um, really. And uh, I, I can't remember the figure, but he's 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 collect. So so when they uh, leave the clan, they like uh, they dispose of their cloak, I suppose. And so Daryl collects them, um, and he's got like this massive collection of all these uh, people that he's managed to persuade to leave just literally just through friend friendship mm. and um it's something that we just forget in in our world where we're just at each other's throats all the time and, and we just have we only have hatred for, for these people but a, a lot of the time uh these people even you know the, the worst people like white supremacists like that, that's it's just the most ignorant ugly just disgraceful like way of seeing the world but of course it's you can you really blame people when they're probably brought up with parents who have those views they're brought up in a society that has those views they don't really know many of the people that they have been taught to hate so they've got no like uh actual real life uh experience um even in your book as well, you say how like a lot of the time they're not even really on board with the ideologies. It's more about yeah. just wanting a place to belong because of the trauma in their life and they feel dispossessed and you know and the so tri- just- tribalism as well. You know mm. that sort of you feel like you're a part of something bigger than yourself, which is dangerous. But yeah, yeah, Ooh. yeah. No, that, that that was the fascinating thing. That there's like a few examples uh, in in the book about like literally that. Like a lot of the time they don't actually hold these views that vehemently. They just sort of almost pretend to hold them because they're, they feel safe and they feel respected within a group. And that's like, if, if there's one thing that we, you know, f- have evolved to, to need it's, it's acceptance within the group, within the tribe, because it's, it's like an evolutionary fear. It takes us back to the savannas of Africa. If, if we uh, are ostracized or like kicked out of our, our tribe that's that's certain death saber <laughs> tooth tiger is going to get you yeah exactly yeah so we have this real built in fear um which often leads us to 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 be in groups that are incredibly just you know archaic and stupid and, and un- unhealthy and the flip side to that which is the really cool message i think is don't write people off you know if you don't agree with what they think rather than just erasing that person canceling that person try and connect with them, communicate with them, try and make them or help them, sorry, not make them, help them see the other point of view and show them compassion and forgiveness and, and you know, understanding patience, all these things we've been talking about. Daryl Davis, Jesse, I'm going to look into trying to get this guy on the show. Yeah. What a story. What an example of like how to be in this world where we are so divided, you know, um, putting himself in the trenches of the thing. I just, yeah, I've heard the story. I've, I've, I think I've seen the trailer um, but that sounds very familiar to me. But yeah, what a brilliant man to and brave, right? Like that's a <laughs> you're going into the lion's den, man. That's crazy. Yeah. And coming out un, not only unscathed, but bringing some lions with you. You're like, come on, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. Well, listen, man. It total pleasure, and I'm I'm sure I've blown up enough sunshine up your ass. But uh, it's definitely been a huge pleasure uh, to speak with you and in, in the book and just who you are as a person, regardless of being a musician, it's uh, definitely a huge pleasure for me to have this chat. I've been looking forward to it. Uh, thank you so much, man. It, yeah. I, I think what you guys are doing, this podcast is awesome. Like I love the concept. I love that, you know, you're saying mentioning at the beginning that you actually get like just listeners on as well. Like, I think that's just putting the the sense of community first. I think it's beautiful. Um, and yeah, just amazing to, 
speak to you both amazing to sort of meet you jesse yeah i know <laughs> hopefully the, we'll see each other way <laughs> yeah yeah I'll definitely, we'll, we'll cross paths at some point even if it's just a festival i will i will find you <laughs> <laughs> nice one Rao. much love my brother take care and um i'll see you very soon wicked peace take it easy catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.